campers, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our mystery in a moment. I want to thank all of our supporters. If you would like to continue to see us grow, please make sure you hit the subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. The best way to support us is to share our podcast with friends and family. Thank you for all of our supporters. And now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Acker Beaker Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Ohio State University and the University of Michigan have one of the biggest rivalries in American football history. On some lists I found, they ranked number one. They've been battling on the gridiron since 1897. But why do Ohio and Michigan feel so strongly about each other? Is there something more going on than a couple of neighbors who meet once a year for a game? The answer is a resounding yes. It definitely started as something else. Because just a few decades before the college football team started clashing, Ohio and Michigan took up arms against each other. In 1835, they both deployed soldiers on opposite sides of the Maumee River to face off over who controlled 500 square miles of Ohio's northwest corner. And though nobody would die in this conflict, it is commonly called the Toledo War. Historians can get very detailed in all the specifics here. For you, I'm going to keep things very simple, so you don't have to be staring at a map to understand the problem at hand. And if you get confused, just keep listening. You'll get the gist of it all. When Ohio was made a state in 1803, its borders were explained two ways, in words and on a map. In words, the northern border was described as being level with the southern tip of Lake Michigan. Now, the tip of Lake Michigan is west of Ohio, but all you need to know is if you put a ruler to a map and lined it up there at the tip, then drew a straight line to and through Ohio, that's where the northern border was supposed to be. Now, to demonstrate this at the time, authorities used the most popular map available, the Mitchell map. That was the second way they communicated Ohio's borders. When using this map, the east-west line that's drawn with that ruler showed Toledo south of Lake Michigan, and that put it in Ohio. The problem was, we hadn't done a real great job yet in mapping out the Midwest. Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, we were all part of this largely unsettled tract of land called the Northwest Territory, and the maps just weren't yet as accurate as they should be. And there came a time when some fur trappers, who knew the ins and outs of the Midwest better than anyone, corrected the record. So both sides had an argument. Michigan said the description of Ohio's borders, in words, clearly gave them, Michigan, Toledo. Ohio said clearly the intention of Congress was to give Toledo to Ohio because that's the map they were relying on when they chose their words. 
Now, why did both sides care so much about this little strip of land? Well, it wasn't so much Toledo as the Maumee River, which rolls into Lake Erie. Remember, this is an era before railroads, even really before there was a good road system. Rivers and canals were the highways of commerce in this primitive West. Heck, in the near future, canals are going to include the Maumee in a link of waterways that will allow boats to travel from Lake Erie all the way down the Mississippi, even out into the Gulf of Mexico. The economic opportunities were staggering. Secondary, but also important, was that Northwest Ohio was some really good farmland. Well-drained, fertile, it had already proved to be a top producer of corn and wheat. So, for years, the folks who lived in Toledo and the far northwest corner of Ohio questioned who they belonged to. I mean, there is the little matter of elections and laws and taxes, Were they part of a state or part of a territory? This went on for years until Ohio finally asked Congress to step in and settle the matter once and for all. In 1816, Congress ordered a survey. (laughs) You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? The guy in charge of the U.S. Survey Office was General Edward Tiffin, a former Ohio governor. And Tiffin's conclusion that the original, though misguided map should take precedence. If Congress was looking at that map when they wrote the description, they clearly thought Ohio included where the mommy intersects with Lake Gary. Michigan was already in a very bad mood. Earlier that same year, Congress had granted Indiana statehood and Darned if those evil Washington politicians hadn't moved Indiana's boundaries about 10 miles up into the Michigan Territory and gave Indiana a prime chunk of Lake Michigan shoreline. So Michigan's governor, Lewis Cass, commissioned his own survey on the Ohio line. And, shocker, his survey said, hey, the law is made up of words And we can positively prove by a new accurate map that the words in the law that created Ohio excludes Toledo. The difference between Tiffin's survey and Michigan's survey was an eight-mile-wide ribbon of land that encompassed just under 500 square miles. It became known as the Toledo Strip. Over the next couple of decades, Michigan confidently but quietly moved in and occupied the area. They even set up local governments, built roads, collected taxes. But Ohio never ceded the land. And when Michigan tried to apply for statehood in 1833, Ohio's representatives in Congress succeeded in getting it quashed because Michigan was counting on the population in the Toledo area to meet the 60,000 resident requirement for statehood. Michigan's territorial governor was now Stevens Mason, a hot-headed 24-year-old who was not going to back down. Even though Congress refused to take up the territory's request for statehood, 
in January of 1835, Michigan moved ahead with a statehood convention and the drafting of a state constitution. Now, Ohio's governor, Robert Lucas, decided if Michigan was going to get that serious, then they'd better be a little more aggressive about asserting its ownership of Toledo. So they rushed in and set up their own county governments, appointing sheriffs, appointing judges, even maybe a little salt in the wound. Governor Lucas even named the county that Toledo was in after himself. Michigan laughed and said, hold my beer. Its territorial legislators passed a law that instituted criminal penalties for residents who submitted to Ohio's authority. They even started arresting some people for voting in an Ohio election. Ohio rolled up its sleeves and returned the favor, passing a similar law. And this time, to back it up, they sent 600 fully armed militiamen to Perrysburg, southwest of Toledo. Michigan said, fine, and it sent a thousand armed men to occupy Toledo. The two armies taunted each other and at times fired shots into the air. The only real armed conflict happened April 26, 1835, when a group of Ohio surveyors, once more trying to perfect the map, was attacked by 50 Michigan militiamen in the Battle of Phillips Corners. The surveyors who wrote to Ohio Governor Lucas about the incident said they were minding their own business, observing the blessings of the Sabbath, when Michigan forces advised them to retreat. They said when they didn't move fast enough, the militia fired up to 50 shots at them, took nine men prisoner, and carried them away to Tecumseh, Michigan. The only time blood was actually drawn was in yet another incident when a Michigan deputy went into a Toledo tavern and tried to arrest an Ohioan, Major Benjamin Stickney. Stickney's son, Two Stickney, and that's his name, Two, T-W-O, Two Stickney, stabbed the deputy with a penknife. The deputy survived, but all of this brought Ohio and Michigan to the very brink of war. Ohio Governor Lucas told his adjutant general to get 10,000 volunteers ready to fight. And Michigan's territorial press dared Ohio to enter the Toledo Strip, where they would be welcomed to hospitable graves. The only people with the absolute power to stop all of this were President Andrew Jackson and the U.S. Congress, which had yet to step in with a firm decision. At the time, Ohio was a growing political power. It had 19 representatives and two senators sitting in Congress. And it was a swing state, crucial to presidential elections and favorable to Andrew Jackson's party. Michigan, being a territory, just had a single non-voting delegate in Congress. Former President John Quincy Adams said, Never in the course of my life have I known a controversy of which all the right is so clearly on one side and all the power so overwhelmingly on the other. During the summer of 1836, Washington leaders proposed a compromise. 
It told Michigan, look, give up the Toledo Strip willingly, and we'll not only grant you statehood, we'll give you the Upper Peninsula. Michigan responded, who wants the worthless wilderness of the Upper Peninsula? No way does that make up for the loss of the Maumee River's access to Lake Erie. Finally, President Jackson removed Michigan's feisty Governor Mason from office. And Michigan, by now almost bankrupt from the money it had thrown at its military, had to disband its militia. Peace didn't come overnight, but within a few months, cooler heads prevailed and the Toledo War was over. Michigan became the 26th State of the Union in January of 1837, and it gained the 9,000 square miles of the Upper Peninsula, which, in a very happy footnote, turned out to have some of the most valuable timber, iron, and copper in America. Not surprisingly, when Ohio State and the University of Michigan started playing football together about 60 years after this, there were still plenty of people who remembered the angst of the battle over the border. While fans today no doubt just see a simple neighborly rivalry, there is little doubt that it was born as an extension of the war that almost was. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.